Welcome to this episode of Turdy for Turdy. Make sure to let us know how we're doing. Well, only if you like it. Uh, you can either email us at tftpod2018 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Turdy for Turdy. Uh, yeah, please do that. Somebody, please. My name's Lance Marlowe. And I'm Trey Miles. And we are the hosts of Fandemonium, a sports podcast made for fans by fans. We got this podcast going because we got really sick and tired of hearing guys like Skip Bayless talk about the same thing over and over. And if you're tired of listening to guys like Skip Bayless or your boring AM sports radio, give us a try. Fandemonium Podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! What's up? Hi. Welcome to another episode of Turdy for Turdy. I'm Andrew, as you know, and that's Maher. Hello. And it's just the two of us still. No secret special guest that I was going to tease that I'm pretending to tease now, but he doesn't really exist, so I don't know why I'm teasing it. Just like all of my other friends. Well, not that I tease them, just that they don't exist. That's you got to have them to for. tease them. Yeah. Well, I got you. I got you. All right. So uh, today we're going to be uh, doing a little story about something that's very near and dear to our state. I wouldn't say to our hearts because our version of this sucked, but I'd say it's definitely to the state of Texas. This is a very important thing. Oh, I forgot what state I lived in, by the way. Uh, Yeah, this is actually up in your neck of the woods. Your neck of the woods currently, not past neck of the woods. I, I also still think of all of my geography of Texas from being at the bottom of it. It's really awkward. Started from the bottom, I'm now the I'm top cold. Of it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but seriously, like, seriously, do you still think of stuff like geographically, like as it's from Corpus or as it's from Houston? Uh, yeah, I guess Corpus, because if you ask me how far Dallas is, the first thing I want to say is like eight hours. Yeah, roll. Actually, it's almost, it's really close to the same amount of distance from like Houston as Corpus. I mean, it's only maybe like an hour or two difference, which is kind of absurd in my opinion. It's like two hours. I think you can get there from Dallas to Corpus in like six and then four for Houston to Dallas, but. Yeah, I mean, but that's yeah, still, it makes you, no sense. I don't know. It almost seems like it should be further. Anyway, did you do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I never know what anybody's talking about. I'm talking about high school football Friday Night Lights. Oh boy, um, that is probably one of the most Texas things ever. Even though Texas is like no longer the powerhouse of like football recruits, it's still like high school football in Texas. You know, name a net, name a better combo. Yeah, I mean, other states obviously have caught up talent wise, but small towns in Texas still take it very seriously. It's because like the whole family I mean, goes to the same school, and granddad, dad, son, and then what would be the grandson playing on football? He would play if football existed by the time he turns fourteen. But uh, yeah, it's still a big deal in those towns. I mean, how how many other states have? The freaking, 
you know, 100,000-seat stadium that they use for the high school football playoffs. Yeah, Allen, Texas. Well, and then not to mention damn Allen, Texas, which has their stadium of like 50,000, and that's just their normal place they play. Oh, yeah, I think I remember hearing about them in the news. I mean, I've worked, I've, I've been around some of the, the, even the Houston ones. They had like, they were getting, you know, they were having those in the, what's it called, the, uh, NRG Stadium, and they were getting like ten to twenty thousand people for just like regular games. Yeah, Manville, like the big Manville gets schools. some big numbers too, and they're like I a think three. Klein, a. yeah, I mean Klein was one of the ones I saw, and there was another big one. So that's anyway. That's what we're talking about, and to put it into perspective, and I think the reason why this is so interesting is. Do you remember the name of the team that the Permian Panthers played in Friday Night Lights? Um, it's a Dallas school. Ah, uh, dang it. I don't know. I, I feel like if you're – all I remember was one was a predominantly like – it seemed like a predominantly black school and one was like a country yep, school. Yep, the Dallas Carter and, and Cowboys. That's what So it actually was. today we're going to talk about – the Dallas Carter Cowboys, 1988 season, the season that they beat the Permian Panthers in the semifinals. So I'm going to give you a little other side of the coin for Friday Night Lights. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm excited. So we're going back to 1988, where the song that was blasting through the speakers of your radio was faith by george michael although i doubt that's what was playing in odessa very often <laughs> i really like i imagine if somebody was listening to george michael and in, in odessa they were probably like doing in their walk in yeah. like looking around making sure nobody could like hear them it was, it's kind of like that part in office space where he's listening to rap music and then the guy pulls up next to him he turns it down he's like well i guess it would be nice if i could touch your body <laughs> Just like anybody. Except for yeah, I I don't I feel like George Michaels and the the Ghetto Boys are very. And then the guy drives though. off. He's like, baby. Hmm? Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Now I'm listening <laughs> to Faith inside my head. I really like that song. So it's just like playing well, up there you, now. You you gotta have faith. Uh, the best picture. Hey, here's here, yeah. here's here's. I'm sorry to to cut off on that, but when you think about it, so the song was called Faith. I wonder how many people in like the you know a very religious, probably small town setting thought that was like <laughs> like a religious song. They listened to it and were like, uh. And then they find out about George Michael later, and it's like, uh. Well, I, I feel got like bamboozled. yeah, should have been tipped off in the first ten seconds of that song when he'd say it'd be nice to touch your body. That part kind of like. I don't know. You obviously haven't listened to a lot of Christian music. It gets very intense. Well, he was talking about Especially, touching, not you know, eating his body. So, uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's a religion where they they eat people and drink their blood. I mean, you know, it's kind of sadistic when you think about it. It's not like it's a symbol. Like you actually are supposed to be eating and drinking his blood, which that dude must have been drunk a lot. He had some like five point nine percent blood. <laughs> Uh, so, and the best picture of that year, and I, uh, to be honest, I've never seen this movie, but I remember the, the cover of it from, like, Blockbuster. Not that it was, like, a new release back then. I just remember, like, passing it in Blockbuster in the 90s and being like, oh, that looks like a weird movie. It's called The Last Emperor. I don't think I've heard of that so one. So the cover of it, and the reason why it's stuck in my head, but the cover of it is, like, a little... Like, a little Asian toddler standing in front of, like, the secret 
like secret city in China. And it's like the last emperor. So I always thought the movie was about like a like a two year old king in China or two year old emperor, I should say. So I have no idea what that movie is actually about, nor have I ever seen it. But that's what I assume it's about based on the picture I saw. When you said child emperor, it made me think of that Eddie Murphy movie. You coming know to I'm America? About? I think that was no, yeah, no, not coming to America. I thought it was Eddie Murphy, the uh, the one where they had like the monk, little child monk, and he was like a cop or something. Oh, the golden something. I don't know because now I'm thinking of Tropic Tropic Thunder and how Happy Jack got kidnapped by the like guerrilla warfare leader that was a kid. Oh, no, that was pretty good too. But no, there's another one. It's called the Golden Something. And it was a little child monk, and uh, Eddie Murphy was protecting her. Uh, Golden her God, that's I Dennis might be Reynolds. Getting, I might be getting, <laughs> I might be getting it wrong. I might be thinking of the wrong black comedian. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, so Dallas Carter opened up in 1966, and it was an all-white school. After integration happened in the early 70s, the school switched to a predominantly black population. By 1988, the campus was 95% uh, black students and then 5% uh, mix of white and Hispanic. Hey, can I interject and say the movie was called The Golden Child? The Golden Child. I had never seen that either. And it is Eddie Murphy. Apparently, I don't like movies where children are like emperors or leaders of countries. Well, I mean, they probably shouldn't be emperors or leaders of countries, so I think you're on to something. I mean, what could it hurt? Let's just see what happens. So socioeconomically, the school is a mix of rich, middle class, and poor. It was actually called like the melting pot of the Dallas area. Um, it was a suburb just outside of town. And what happened is it was it's a very nice suburb, and so... Um, it ended up being kind of like a, a, a center for middle class and rich uh, black families. And so it became, it was like a wealthier suburb in town. It just happened to be predominantly black. So one of the biggest problems that that area has with the Friday Night Lights movie, and I can honestly, I can I don't blame them, is if you remember in Friday Night Lights, it really felt like that school was portrayed as like a ghetto thug school oh definitely the way they had like everybody like acting and stuff was i was like man they're trying to make this look like it was some like you know yeah and it was really really not so most of the students came from hard-working two-parent homes um according to their quarterback robert hall and uh it was just a it was a suburb of really good people. It was a really good area in Dallas and they loved football. And so coming into the nineteen eighty eight season, the Cowboys had to uh, had had been to three semifinal games over um over their history, but they had never actually been to the state championship game. Uh football fans all over the state and country were starting to hear about this team during the nineteen eighty eight season. They had a ton of talent on defense, and the defense was so talented that three players on the starting in the starting uh, the starting lineup would go on to have NFL careers. And Whoa. that's just the defense. Wow, 
that's that's amazing when you consider the like maybe you're lucky if one person from your team gets to like or if more than one person from your like high school team gets to even play in college to have three guys that made it to the NFL. That's two ridiculous. of those players were arguably the best players in the country and like critics and reporters and stuff would go back on for back and forth between which one of these two was either the best in the country. And actually one of them was a name was a safety named Derek Evans. And um, he used to joke because he played with Jesse Armstead. I don't know if you remember Jesse Armstead. I remember him. He played for the Redskins right when I started really getting to football. So that also kind of led me to this story. But yeah, I don't have that much knowledge of the. But Derek Evans um, joked and said that they would almost get into fights on the sideline about which one of them was better. And if reporters asked him, he would always say, "Well, Jesse Armstead's hand down, hands down is the best linebacker in the country, but I'm the best player total." <laughs> so, at the end, and like I said, they had three players that went to the NFL. And if some of the events that we'll talk about later don't didn't happen, they would have had five. Because there were okay, and now I'm yeah, curious. Now, now I got your attention. That's that's why my friends call me Whiskers because <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> like a cat. So the Cowboys blew through the regular season, um, just dominating their opponents. They were pretty much invincible because of how good their their defense was. Uh, the day before Carter opened the 1988 playoffs with a game against Plano East. They were at practice when a bunch of TV trucks started pulling up on the hill over the field. Um, and so they didn't know why they were there at first, but reports started coming out of a scandal and that the UIL and TA would be investigating. Ooh. So later that day, the details of what this um, in this scandal was, it was the US, UIL had received a call that um, one of the players, Gary Edwards, and not just one of the players, but Gary Edwards was also the leading scorer on the team, had an algebra grade that needed to be investigated. Wow. Okay. You, you like, talked it all up <laughs> like there was some kid diddling going on, and it was like the dude was stupid. So no one knew where this call came from, but investigators concluded that Edwards should have had a 68 instead of the 72 that was reported. Oh, that's, that's actually, um, that might be just more than one player kind of issue. That's like, uh, is he the only one that got caught? He's the only one that was investigated for this. So, cause I feel like that's more of an issue with everybody as opposed to just one specific person. So I couldn't find, like, exactly what happened, but it sounded kind of like a computing error almost because it's what I read was that he was failing in one teacher's class and he moved to another teacher's, the counselors moved him to another teacher's class that had, like, would do a little more work with him, like tutorials and remedial work, and he supposedly did like makeup work to bring that failing grade he had up, but something happened to where like the UIL didn't like that too much. Interesting. What well, is kind of suspicious really? Cause would you let anybody do that or would you let him do that because he needed to pass the play? It's, it's hard to say, um, you know, a lot of schools do that kind of stuff, like try to help out kids that, need it but you have to there's a certain way you have to do it and if they didn't do it in the way that they're supposed to then yeah that's a problem no child left behind um 
So they decided that Carter would have to vacate three of their wins um, based on the games that he shouldn't have been playing in since he was supposed to have failed. Wait, did this come out when they were already yes, in the Yes, they playoffs? were about to play their first playoff game. This was the day before their first playoff game. Oh, that's fun. So he was ruled ineligible. They said they were going to have to vacate three wins, and so that would put him out of the playoffs. And now the South Grand Prairie team was heading to the playoffs to play Plano. But as you can probably guess, the story is not over there. Otherwise, I wouldn't have picked this one. I was going to say, I don't know how this makes sense. So the Cowboys (laughs) lawyered up. Uh, They hired Royce West, a 36-year-old attorney in the Dallas area. He would later become a Dallas County state senator. And he said, it wasn't just about Carter of Dallas ISD. It was about the total Dallas community. You had the issue of no pass, no play. And this was very much a black black and white issue, like racially. Not black and white, like clear cut. You had the... Well, actually, I was going to make a comment, but then... The way you said it made made me think it was actually a clear cut issue and not a race thing. Yeah, no, the, no. As soon as I said it, I was like, "Oh, that didn't sound the way that I meant for it to sound." But yeah, it was a, there was a race thing. He said there was a lot of subplots playing out, and I do agree with him that that probably there was some of that motivation racially from the UIL because this was this was still racial tensions were still not great in the eighties, and this was there was there was more of like. These all-white teams playing all-blacks teams, the like Texas wasn't as uh, mixed together as it is now, so it was a different time. And I don't think it's that much improved. And part of the tension was caused by the suburbs and inner-city schools that had just actually begun to play each other. And that was another big part of it. But they're not inner-city school, right? Uh, well, they... No, they were more of a so suburb. What you're but saying there was there's more so the suburb. There's more suburban suburbs, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So I guess what you're trying to what I'm getting from this is most of these suburb areas were predominantly white. So they would mostly be playing each other and they didn't really play any of the actual like, you know, inner city schools. Those pretty much just stuck to themselves and that was a mostly, you know, black socioeconomic correct so like carter was close to dallas but it wasn't in dallas proper but it still had the like the feeling of an inner city school because it was just on the like the outskirts of dallas but it'd be like them playing somebody like richardson or plano that's a very different environment than a suburb that's off of dallas just off of dallas especially since plano's pretty like bougie so, oh God, yeah, it is. Uh, on the morning of the game, Dallas ISD officials announced that they had evidence to support Edwards. Since a legal fight now loomed, the UIL could not uphold the ban until a hearing had been done. The hearing could not happen until the next week because this was a Friday, so Carter was allowed back into the pl- into the tournament. Oh, they pulled a Zeke. Yeah, and that really pissed off. I didn't write much about South Prairie, but they were pretty pissed off about that. Oh, I would be pissed off if I was going to get into it. And then I, you know, because that, well, here's the thing. If you're not a playoff team and then you find out the next, like a day before 
your the game would be that you're a playoff team. You got to start like you're like, oh crap, we need to get the ball rolling. So then you probably call in everybody, start practicing, make sure you have all your equipment, do all that junk, and then all of a sudden you find out you're back out of it. Yeah, I don't think that was handled in the best way, but what can you do? Uh, I don't think they should have been banned and thrown out of the playoffs until they had done some better investigation, and you can't really do that in a day. So I thought that was kind of an, I, a quick yeah, move. I can see, I can see both sides of it. Um, obviously, the timing of the whole thing's bad, but they didn't. I'm assuming the reason they reacted the way they did is because they didn't want to end up letting them go through the whole playoffs, and then you find out at the end of the after after everything's over with that they have to vacate But if they it. could figure it out before the next game, say Carter wins and then that gives you a week to figure it out. If if by the end of the week you figure out that they were ineligible, then you just put Plano in and pretend like Plano won the game. Yeah, I mean you could do that. That would still piss people off. But I think but that's yeah. that cause that saves a lot of trouble that this led to you here. So Carter played Plano in the late game of a playoff doubleheader. The game ended shortly after midnight, and Edwards was on the sideline flashing his towel that said, Beware of me in celebration. Beware of me was all it said. I kind of made it sound like that was the whole quote. <laughs> That'd be a weird quote. Like, okay, I Beware was like, of me in really celebration. Odd. That's a terrible I'm gonna write that on my. I'm going to write that on a towel and be like, Beware of me in celebration. I'm in celebration. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Does that mean you just like to punch, you know? You're, you're Stay back. Puncher? I like to fling my arms around. <laughs> I throw elbows, man. So he had two touchdowns, and uh, he also had the game-ending inter- game interception. And after the game, he said, once I got on the football field, it was pretty easy. Games are where I can just be me. Wait, you said this guy was their leading scorer. Yeah, he played both sides of the, the ball. He was intercept- really good. Oh, okay. Okay, I was about to he say. He was a running like, back um, that was their leading scorer, and he was also a, a corner, and he got a pick. Dang, I, man, that's that's really impressive. Actually, little did he know that the real chaos would never actually take place on the field, and things were only just starting. Bom, bom, bom. Uh, before the next game, the UIL ruled Carter eligible to continue in the playoffs. Plano and Grand Prairie officials were not happy about this. And they had lawyers convince Education Commissioner William Kirby that no pass, no play was violated. The new legal battle caused the next game with Samuel to be rescheduled for a day later. A district judge once again ruled in favor of Carter, and they kicked Samuel's ass on that Saturday. (laughs) The judge kicked their ass? (laughs) Yeah. He was like, I'm a Carter fan. Kick their ass. Kick their ass, Seabass. Jesse Armstead would uh, would say that would recently say that it felt like it was their team versus everybody because everybody just kept bringing up legal problems about this stupid single grade. Coach, but here's the thing though. I I don't want to. I know I like, kind of cut you off, but go ahead. Couldn't they just take out that one player if they were scared about anything like negative happening to them through the playoffs, and then that fixes the problem? Well, it doesn't because. It went back three games, so if they ever ruled in favor that he, or if they ever did rule that he um, violated no pass to play, they were out of the playoffs anyway, so he might as well let him play. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Uh, Coach Freddie James spent most of his weekdays 
in Austin during the playoffs. He kept being called to go testify with UIL. But even with all the noise, the team kept winning and eventually was scheduled to meet Odessa Permian in the semi play in the semifinals of the playoffs. So that maybe always depicts it as being the final game of the playoffs. It was actually the semis. Yeah, I think I found out about that like after the the, the after I saw the movie, and I was like, well, that kind of yeah, stupid. it takes a little wind out of the sails here. Uh, right before the semifinals took place, the UIL announced that they would not raise any more legal challenges until the season had concluded. So with their mind sort of cleared, the Carter Cowboys took care of the Permian Panthers 14-9 to and moved on to play Converse Jetson in the state championship. During the playoff run, the players and coaches began to start feeling invincible. And this is a quote by a player named Lachey Mastin. He said, 17 to 18-year-old kids in the paper every day. Girls come up to you like you're a rock star. All the dopers wanted to hang out with us. The The dopers? dopers. That's what he said. I'm not sure. Is that like I'm not sure. I can't tell if that was like drug drug dealers. Or I think what it sounds like based on the quote is like dopers was a slang term from cool kids. Oh, I'll take your word for that. You know, I'd never been considered a cool kid. Um, What's but, up, you know, doper? I, I never heard the word dopers used in a positive yeah, light. Yeah, I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to stay positive. Anyway, the team had no trouble staying positive because their confidence was off the charts. They beat Jetson so bad that the starters were eating cake on the sideline during the fourth quarter. the final score was 31 to 14 so they put the backups in in the fourth quarter because they were beating them so bad and the other guys were like yeah we're gonna go ahead and eat our championship cake now while we watch the rest of the game see that's not even really that bad of a score i mean especially with college football now sometimes they have like really ridiculous scores i mean what what was it our high school we lost multiple games by at least 40 points yeah but this is the state championship and back then most of it was like run 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 the ball so 30 if you're down by 30 points in the fourth quarter that's pretty brutal i guess i just feel like that's not like you know that big a that's not like, you know, eat cake on the sideline numbers. That's just not placed. I, I, I don't know, disagree with you. Numbers. As I was writing this, I kind of thought the same thing. But, hey, let them do what they're going to do. Like, eating cake on the sidelines is if you're, like, winning by, like, 40 points or 50 points. Actually, I don't think you should ever do it. It's really rude. But. <laughs> when UIL director Bill Farney and Coach James went to the stage – uh, coach joked that the winner certificates were probably printed in disappearing ink. <laughs> A comment that I think he'll later re- regret saying, but it was funny at the time. Wait, who who made the, the joke? Coach, the coach, yeah, he said the... that the winning certificate was probably in disappearing ink. Ooh, I like. What do they do for the trophy? Are they just like put a label maker and and use that instead of actually like engraving anything? <sighs> Great question. I don't know. In this situation, maybe. I think you're giving away what happens also. A little bit. It's called foreshadowing. Uh, Championship night concluded with the players lifting the trophy. Everything was well and good. Mastin described the feeling. That emotional high and that adrenaline rush of stardom that we got every day. It came to a crescendo and then suddenly stopped. 
These days they would try to have some type of counseling or somebody to mentor these kids. We were just let loose on the city. <laughs> I, I, now I'm imagining these like bunch of like kids walking around their like football uniforms looking kind of disheveled <laughs> and like wondering why people aren't acknowledging them. He released us onto the city. Um, so that is kind of what happened. Coming off the high of winning the championship, Patrick P.K. Williams mentioned to teammates Carlos Allen and Keith Campbell that he had a plan to raise their financial and social status even higher at the school and in the Carter area. All three players were kind of odd men out on this championship team. Williams lost his starting job that season. Uh, Campbell was a wide receiver that was rarely used. And Allen was the team's leader in rushing until he broke his leg earlier in the season. It's like the Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah. Williams hypothesized that three of them could rob a jack-in-the-box that he worked with at and easily get away with it. He was a cook. Oh, crap. He was a cook, and he he figured there was a way he could let the others in and stage a robbery. This plan started taking effect five days after they won the national, uh, the state championship. Why? And a jack-in-the-box of all places, you're probably only going to get like a couple hundred dollars out of the register, right? And then also, why why are people so dumb that they rob places they work at? Like, that's like one of the first things you look at is like, was there anybody here that could do this? Also, I mean, it's the 80s. I probably stole cameras so their thought process was that if they happen to get caught the adults in town would probably just let them get away with it because of the um fame that they've they had recently got they literally thought they were invincible that is so stupid you're a high school football team the only level you can get away with that at is like probably the nfl on the night of december Actually, I take that back considering the Cowboys had, like, one guy get arrested two times for, like, robbing places. Yeah. Well, he still got to play. But on the night of December 22nd, Williams propped the back door open and turned security cameras away and put the or into convenient locations. So he made sure that the cameras were useless, to answer your question from a minute ago. Okay. Well, at least they were that. I mean, this seems like the like the smartest dumb plan you could probably Yeah, have. I give them credit. I mean, it was a pretty sharp idea. Campbell and Allen tossed pantyhose on their heads and went through the back door at 2.30 in the morning. Allen ordered all employees, including P.K. Williams, to lie down on the floor. The two then bagged $700 from the safe. Once the robbery was over, the manager's first concern was to make sure all of his employees were safe, including Williams. So, obviously, they didn't think it, that PK was involved, and so, therefore, they didn't know that it was football players doing it because, you know, one of their own was part of the robbery. This whole thing actually seems... Actually, I kind of am backtracking on it. It actually seems kind of smart for right now, but I know, like... If you keep working at a place, you're not going to be able to keep it up. Also, it's only $700, which I guess if you're in high school, that's a lot of money. But why ruin your life for $700? But split split amongst three people. Well, everything was fine, and they came back at Christmas break. When they got back from Christmas break, football was over, so the rules were a little more lax. They kind of had a lot more time on their hands. Some of the seniors were focused on signing their letters of intent. 
Jesse and Armstead and Derek Evans were the highlights of the senior class. Uh, both of them couldn't let the other one one up each other. So Derek Evans signed his letter of intent to the University of Tennessee from the comfort of a hot tub and wearing every piece of jewelry he owned. <laughs> oh, that's that's actually Armstead did not want to be upstage, so he ran out of conference room at the Lowe's Antole and signed his letter to Miami just in time for the six o'clock news, which it was a really nice hotel. So he rented out a really fancy room at a hotel and signed his letter of intent so that way it could be pretty close to live on the on the news. How are these people affording this? Uh, that I don't know. I, although I do get the feeling that Jesse Armstead's family wasn't like broke or anything, so they might have been able to do it. And the you know the hotel might have donated the room if it was only for that one little thing. It's not like that would take very long. That's, that is true. Plus, that one guy's going to University of Miami, and at the time um, when all of them were having um, coke and coke boat parties. Yeah, uh, I mean it was pretty close there. I don't know exactly where in that came about, but. So Jesse actually graduated in December and went ahead and went to the University of Miami, but he heard from his friends some bad stories about his old school. The kids have been playing dice in the locker room all season long, mainly just for fun, but uh, Armstead was hearing that the games had gotten up to $200 a roll. What the hell, man? This is a high the school. students, that, while they weren't poor, they never had that kind of money before. Oh my God! So they were, were they continuously like ro- were they robbing banks now or like trains? We'll I'm get confused. to that. So the robbery business was booming for the three that I had talked about earlier. Williams and Campbell both got jobs at Poncho's Mexican Buffet. Poncho, sopa pia. <laughs> oh man, I, I now I'm craving uh, all you can eat. Or is it was that the yep. buffet? Just Mexican raise the flag place? for a new plate. I figured you'd get more excited about that. I got really excited when I saw Ponchos mentioned in here. No, I, uh, I, I kind of you forget about Ponchos, but um, I forget where I was living. But there was a Ponchos like right next, uh, right there, and I always want, I always threatened to go in there, and then I just never. Oh, all I remember about Ponchos is their awesome Sopapia commercials. Sopapia. <laughs> so uh, the two had jobs at Ponchos Mexican Buffet and helped rob it twice: once in March and once in April. Okay, they gotta. I I just I feel like they're overstepping themselves. You can't just rob the same place over and over again. The robbers that helped them with this all combined split eleven thousand between them. Dang, Ponchos was like a bank. Man, I mean seriously, I wouldn't have thought like a cheap Mexican food place would like. Well, I mean, if they, it depends on how. You know, if they, you know, if they had a couple days of money there or not. As the number of robberies and the news about the robberies started to spread, so did the size of the team, the robbery team, not the football team. I'm imagining like 50 kids just robbing a ponchos at this point. They began now. to plan jobs more frequently and had more people involved. Derek's cousin was telling him how easy it was. Then Derek mentioned it to a guy who was the manager at Taco Bueno. He told us, y'all come in and I'll give you a cut. After that, it was kind of a snowball effect, said Edwards. Wait, this other guy was letting them, like, so this guy was just letting them rob his yes, store? Yes, and he, he happened to know Derek bueno? Evans, and Derek Evans talked him into just letting him rob the Taco Buena. 
So Derek wow, Evans that, is involved no, now. That's the no guy bueno. that signed the letter of intent to Tennessee, he gets involved in these robberies. But he's and so he's still in school as the other guy. Yeah, Jesse left, Armstead's right, the one that bailed out. He was in okay. at Miami at this time. Well, it seems like he's probably going to be the only one that that does good on. So this. the group was planning a robbery in May and asked Jesse to join in. He thought about it because they had been friends for so long and they really never did anything without each other. But Armstead had got caught stealing at age 16. He stole like a shirt from the mall at age 16 and he promised his mom he would never do it again. And it was a promise that he decided to keep. Good for the him. day before the robbery, uh, Armstead decided to give his coach a call, Coach James, and let him know what was going on. He, Aww, snitches he started snitches. to tell him, but then changed the subject out of fear of losing his friends. This is a choice that he still regrets today. If he had told Coach James what was going on, the next events may have turned out differently. Oh, man. You know, you know you're in a bad situation when, you know, you honestly go back <clears throat> and be like, I should have said that. Yeah. You know, when that's all better. You know, I don't know. When when it's worth losing all your friends to, to help Yeah, them. I actually, like... But they would never, they would never see it as you help them, but, like, you know... You would lose all your friends, but they would be okay. Yeah, when I read that, I actually felt bad for him because that is a, a hard situation. Like hindsight, it's obvious that he should have said something, but at the time, when you're an 18 year old kid, it's not as easy as you would think it would be. Yeah, and you probably not. I mean, it's probably one of those like he thought about later, not you know within a year or two of it even happening either. So on June 29th, on June 20th, sorry, on June 20th, 1989. Derek Evans and Gary Edwards went to a video exchange. The clerk was not from the area and actually didn't even work at that store. She was filling in for a friend of hers just for the night. So that's important because she didn't recognize the players. She hadn't seen them anywhere, hadn't seen their faces from the news or anything. So she didn't recognize Derek Evans when he walked in, who's somebody that you probably would have recognized. Um, if you watched like local news, because he would have been on there like signing his letter of intent for the last season, but she didn't know them. Edwards pulled a twenty-two revolver out of a Crown Royal bag, and oh. Evans reached into okay. the cash register. Edwards took the clerk to the back room and demanded she give him more money. After they got what they could, they grabbed a copy of Coming to America and hopped into Evans' red Camaro. Oh so, wow! Wait, so they they didn't have mask on, and they just straight up pulled a gun on this chick. Yeah. What they were the? getting a little oh more my. relaxed with what they were doing. Okay, but there's it's different between like robbery and armed robbery. Those are very different, like in time and time you get. Oh, I mean, they they had coming to America, so everything's good, right? Um. Yeah, actually, I mean, I, I if I was going to just randomly steal a movie from somewhere, I'd probably be coming to America. You just watch it over and over so, again. So, you just reminded me of something I read while I was uh, researching this, but I didn't put it in here. Uh, the Dallas Morning News actually interviewed this woman that was the clerk at the time of that robbery, and she said to this day she still can't watch Coming to America and that her husband is a cop, and it took her seven years to let him bring Crown Royal into the house to drink. For whatever reason, the bag freaked her out, and she like couldn't look at Crown Royal bags and couldn't watch Coming to America. 
See, I don't understand. I mean, a that's hilarious that they picked a crown royal bag. I literally have like a a, a box of just full of like crown royal bags that I've just saved for the years. Just Perfect because, for guns. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I need something to put my my guns in. Um, no, I just use, would use them if I was going somewhere. Like, and I'd I'd put like a, a couple of, like loose things in them, and it would, they were very handy, especially the really large bags. You know, plus they feel soft. They do. But I, I just don't – I can see you being rattled by it. But it's like, a little – I thought it was like, a little How overboard. would it ruin coming to America She also you? said she like, wouldn't watch I, Friday Night Lights. And that was just like, that's a little silly. Because none of those people No, just the that. school that you didn't even know anything about is basically mentioned in it. I mean, it's not even like Carter is that big of a part of that movie. It's in it for like the last 20 minutes. I have no sympathy for this woman. Also, the whole time they portrayed Carter as the bad guys anyway, and because we were supposed to be like upset that Odessa Permian lost, exactly based yeah. on how they did the movie. Even though Tim McGraw beat his son, you know, no one talks about and that. He tried to fix problems with duct tape. I mean, you know, you can fix a if you can build a boat with duct tape, you can tape a football to your son and beat him. That I mean, those are things that can happen. Duct tape. Fixes anything. Uh, Except your parenting skills. <laughs> so like I said, they hopped into Evan's red Camaro and drove off. They decided to go rob another video exchange that night, but the car was spotted by police. The two teenage player football players were soon caught. Also, why the hell? I mean, taking everything out of this, you're going to rob... In, in, like, one of the most easily visible, like... They just thought they were in, invincible. In, in, That's what Camaro. I was saying, though. Like, they just stopped caring. After they did it a few times, they're like, oh, we can't get caught. And even if we get caught, we're the Carter Cowboys. I mean, I think, like, stealing, you know, a few things you can get away with. But if you're doing armed robbery, no one's going to just... They, they, they can't physically just be like, oh, you know, whatever. This kid's being kids. But if you, like you know, stole, you know, crab legs from a store, just, you know, <laughs> throw something random that's never happened out. You know, you could probably get away with that. True. Jameis, Jameis has taught us everything we need to know about what a star football player can and can't get away with. Yeah. Well, you can, you can steal crab legs. You, you can't grope taxi drivers. But you can are, scream the, about grabbing women's uh, genitalia. So screaming yes. about women's genitalia Stealing crab legs, it's fine. Groping people in an Uber ride, not fine. Do I have that figured out? <laughs> it's a very, it's it's a very fine line, you know. <laughs> Basically, n- no touchy is the rule. Yell but don't touch. Uh, the t- uh, Gary Edwards started sobbing and throwing up for two hours after being placed in custody. Yeah, because I'm sure, like, everything hit him so hard, like, I am going to lose everything. So then he turned over. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) We were were just doing it for the kicks. It wasn't meant to cause harm to anyone. Even after being arrested, that's what, that was what Edward said. Even after being arrested, they feared that this would be bad when it comes to facing their parents, but that they still had scholarships waiting for them. Oh, Edwards Idiots. figured that the night would end with him being bonded out and keep him keeping his nose clean until he graduated, and then he would go play football at Houston. Idiot. <laughs> Wait, he, I thought he was going Evan's to Evan's going to Tennessee, Edwards, Houston. 
Okay. He never realized that this was just the beginning of his problems. After some investigation, police traced 21 robberies to teens from their neighborhood. 15... Holy yeah. crap. 15 teenagers were arrested, and six of them were on the Carter Cowboys football team. Well, you know, they should have been called the Carter Outlaws. So, as I said... Um, nothing. nothing yeah, not I'm even sorry, a, I, was, I was thinking about... About what I was going to say next. <laughs> As I said at the top, they could have they could have had four to five NFL players if it were not for some of the choices they made after the season. Uh, judge Kendall, who uh, was the judge of their trial, didn't take pity on them either. He said in one of the hearings, "If stupidity were a crime, you would all deserve life without parole." <laughs> That sounds so much like a judge would say to kids. But he's though. he's not wrong. Like he's 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 not he's he's not wrong. Uh, he wanted to make an example of them and had the national media to get his message across. He said that this trial could shape the future of many other young athletes or young privileged kids from making mistakes like this. I don't think it actually worked. Yeah. Though. Well, Cam. Just for America as a whole. Campbell was sentenced to 25 years. Dang. He he commented on it. I'll never forget the screams. As each person was sentenced, all you heard was another scream being let out. Derek Evans. Like, were they all standing in a line Yeah, together? yeah, I think they were like, all tried together. They're, at least they all, were all, all sentenced like together. Derek Evans received 20 years. So he never got to go to Tennessee, I guess. And then Gary Edwards got 16 years. As for the football team, after all that happened, the governor, the governor signed a reform law um, in 1989 that restricted future lawsuits against, uh, lawsuits against no pass, no play. It would make the TA uh, commissioner's ruling final unless the district could prove the decision was made out of a malicious intent. So basically... Wait, so basically... So basically it would have made to where they wouldn't have been able to play in the play. Exactly. Yeah. You couldn't, the new rule was basically you can't fight it unless the school district can prove that the state is doing it because for whatever reason, they unfairly don't want the team to play. That's, um, that's very shady. So after that happened, the appeal that they had originally filed and won was dismissed, and that changed the ruling in favor of Kirby's original decision to uphold no pass, no play. In 1991, Carter was officially stripped of its championship and asked to return the trophy and also contact the players about getting the individual player medals back. Whoa, they have to get the... The well, it said they like it said they had to try later? to get them back. So they were supposed to ask for him back. I don't know who would have actually well, sent it in, half, but if you were smart, you wouldn't have sent the, it back to him. Half the medals are in prison, <laughs> so just six of them. Oh yeah, well, a third, no, a fifth. So the a tenth. Well, yeah. You could basically argue that one of the best high school football teams in history was completely erased from the record book. And if you go back and look to see what the score of that game from Conver uh, the Converse uh, Carter game, the score, if you go back and look at it, it says one to nothing, Converse. 
So they didn't even like oh, keep it so in the they... record book and say Carter won, but had it stripped. They just changed it to where it basically says Carter was stripped, and it doesn't even show the original score. Dang, that's a really hard fall. That's like tripping and like landing in a pile of nails face first, but the nails are like covered in like battery acid or something. So basically, they say the reason that they took the game, uh, the championship away from the school was the grade thing, but I don't think anybody actually believes that really. Yeah, I part of me thinks that they were like this all this happened while this team was doing this, so we can't let them retain any semblance. If it had maybe been just the great thing, they might have I don't think they would have let them keep it, but they probably would have done the asterisk thing. This is like straight up like bounty gate stuff where someone's just like I hate you and everything that you stand for, so go to hell even though I let this other team get away with, you know, doing stuff and not really being punished after they cam recorded you know a bunch of teams play and then later after they deflated balls in a major playoff game Look, the the kids but that, i'm not referencing anybody specifically <laughs> the kids that made uh that that did the robbery that's on them but the state ended up punishing all the other kids that were on that team that were actually good kids that did nothing wrong i i don't I see part of me though finds a little bit of fault in the coach though because you're supposed to be really close really you know the to have that good relationship in there. And there's no way that everybody on the team didn't know that that was going on. And just all the, the other kids just ignored it. And the coach like had to think something was up. Like, Hey, there's no way you could hide that they're playing dice for, you know, 200 bucks a roll. I don't disagree with in, you, in but I can, I can overlook the kids not saying anything. Cause it's like 15, 16 and 17 year old kids. Oh no. I, if I've been that situation, I don't know if I would have said – I mean, I would have said something, but I might not have said something right away. Yeah, Does that make no, sense? I like, don't... I would have had to really think about it. But once I, like, started to hear more about but it – But then also, uh, like, if you're – like, like let's say you're a 16-year-old, you're a sophomore on that team, and you're like, I should tell the coach. Then you've got to be worried, like, hey, if I tell him and they kick all these players off the team, what's going to happen with our championship and what's going to happen – you know, uh, next year, because I'm sure those kids were like worried about repeating the next year because that's what's important in their life. So I just I can't really blame them for keeping their mouth shut because they're young and don't know the extent of what was going on. I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, there's always both sides to to it. But they didn't really look to reverse that grade thing until after the robbery thing had taken place. That's when they started looking into that before the next season started. So if you look at the timeline of things, it definitely looks like they were like, Oh, okay. So these kids are a bunch of thugs for robbing people. Let's strip them of their state championship. Even though it was only a couple of kids that weren't, that just made really stupid decisions. By the way, like you have to be like stupid, like, I mean, like, have, like, a learning disability. Well, I mean, that didn't necessarily make you stupid. You got to have something really wrong with you. So you have a full ride to a SEC school, which I'm pretty sure Tennessee was good in the 80s. And um, even, you know, just having a football scholarship in general, and you ruin it because you decide you have to 
rob places when you actually have a legit chance to go further with your life and make millions of dollars in the NFL. That's why I kept keying in on the idea that they felt invincible and invincible and they felt like they couldn't be stopped by anybody because that is the mentality that got them in so much trouble. Yeah, that's I mean, I I know I I'm pretty sure that you know, you hear the stories of like Texas of of the players in the small towns getting caught doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing and then the you know the sheriffs or whatever just kind of like say don't do it again kind of thing but that's usually like drinking and it's not holding up like 20 different places yeah it's not 21 robberies (laughs) and in one of those in two of those robberies you stole eleven thousand dollars combined Man, that ponchos really like need to really consider doing like mid shift deposits or you know something something different. Yeah, I would hope that they learned a lesson there. If anybody was learning a lesson from this episode of our podcast, I hope it's restaurants <laughs> that you shouldn't have eleven thousand dollars in your safe at any time. And that's the reason most of the ponchos don't exist anymore is because they have poor money. Yep, that's it. Ponchos got shut down by high school kids that found it easy to rob them. <laughs> they Well, they just put the flag up and when they, the waiters came over, they put <laughs> a gun at them and said, so give me all your money. Yes, well, do you have a money. duffel yeah. bag? Because we got a lot back here. Why do you have yeah. so much money? I thought I was getting like $900. They're like, yeah, it's like more like $7,000. <laughs> and if you come back next month, we'll probably hold a little bit less, but it'll be like oh four thousand. That's pretty. I mean, I guess of all those restaurants, that's probably the one where the food's the most expensive. So you could, you know, with tips and depending on how they do the tips, you could see them having a lot of money, but still, like, yeah. So anyway, that was the story of the Carter Cowboys, which would have been equally an interesting movie as the Permian Panthers, I think. I think they should just make that as the movie, like make a prequel. Friday Night Lights 2. Electric Boogaloo. So, um, next week is Thanksgiving. Or actually, yeah, next week's Thanksgiving. I guess it would technically be the week we're releasing this. But we're not going to be able to... Anyway, the point is we're not going to be able to record over the holidays. So, uh, instead of recording a new episode that week, we're actually going to record one right now. But you're not going to hear it until until next week. So that's kind of how this is going to work. And it's... um, Kind of like a spiritual sequel of this story dealing with another uh, high school football scandal that we're going to talk about. So just imagine that the sequel to this comes out uh, in the next episode. Spiritual sequel, because it has nothing to do with Carter, but it's still kind of in the same concept. Is there ghosts? You keep saying, like, in the next episode of Turdy for Turdy. Spooky ghosts. Yeah, it's a spooky ghost. So anyway, we'll see you back next week, which will be like right now. I'm not sure how time works, so I'm just confused. Time is a square circle. Time is a square circle. So anyway, we'll see you next time. Thanks for checking us out. Maher, you got anything to say? Time is illusion. Time is illusion. But see ya in a few minutes next week. Exactly. Bye, everybody. Bye.